And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. We have uh, talked before with Peter. He serves as missionary at Frontline Fellowship and has pioneered missionary outreaches, including into the war zones of Mozambique, Angola, and Sudan. Uh, Peter, it's an honor to have you join us today. Thank you so much, Dan. Good to be back with you. I kind of watch from afar as the emails come in, and I know that the Lord has been doing a mighty work in terms of missionary outreach. So, Peter, to get us started today, maybe could you share with the folks uh, some of the things that you've been involved with uh, more recently here? Uh, Yes, um, certainly. In fact, I've just come back from missions. Uh, I've just done three missions and less in the last three months, and it's been uh, quite extraordinary. I must say, it's it's a real adventure serving the Lord. And uh, I was in Zambia, uh, Central Africa, uh, just uh, beginning of this month, running a Reformation 500 conference in Lusaka at a major reformed university. And uh, we had people who came from Zimbabwe, Malawi, neighboring countries as well, from quite far and wide. And it was so encouraging to be invited up there to the capital of Lusaka, which, you know, um, just, it would have been 30 years ago, I was locked up as a prisoner in that very same uh, capital in Lusaka Central Prison, when it was a communist country run by a communist dictator, Kenneth Gohinder. And I was on a mission and my team got uh, arrested simply for not paying a bribe at a roadblock. And oh. uh, we were being harassed for no good reason at all. So 30 years ago, I entered Lusaka for the first time in chains, handcuffed, shackled, hooded, uh, being beaten with rifle butts and prodded with bayonets and dragged through the streets on parade and then thrown into a stinking cell where, if I describe it to you like this, it was 25 feet by 15 feet and it was uh, with 60 to 65 people in a cell on average. And so you're talking about 60 to 65 people crammed into a cell. Now, without any bunks or beds or any kind of plumbing, sanitation, there was no bedding, there was no uh, furniture at all. So you're talking about human bodies on filth-infested floors, packed in like sardines, where you were, you couldn't even lie on your back, you had to be on your side, because there wasn't enough space for everyone to lie on your back. And uh, stifling heat, uh, people dying in the tropical heat at night and being dragged out in the morning, literally, we had two dead bodies carted out while we were there, and... uh, Uh, So that was my introduction to Zambia. So you can imagine 30 years ago, I wasn't thinking anything good about Zambia. And I wouldn't have expected coming back there because I didn't know how long I'd be in jail for. Uh, But as it happens, (laughs) God's people uh, were alerted and they prayed and pressured. And as we are told in Luke 18 by the Lord Jesus that we should always pray and not give up. And he gave the testimony of the productive widow, the persistent widow, who, although this judge didn't fear God and he didn't care about men, yet because of the persistent prayers and pressure of this this uh, woman, this persistent widow, uh, he saw that justice was done. And the Lord encouraged us to keep on praying and not to give up and uh, to obviously pray to God and to pressure the politicians concerned. And uh, so people did that. And uh, a lot of folks who had heard me minister uh, met me or who had benefited from ministry that we'd done on media. Uh, I 
just shortly before that actually take an American film team into Angola, war-torn Angola, to the UNITA Freedom Fighters of Jonas Savimbi. And so they were very much in the forefront of, of showing video clips and mobilizing people to protest outside the Zambian embassy in Washington, D.C., and people in London were protesting, people in Germany. So in the end, they opened prison doors, and I was set free after a couple of weeks of, of actually hellish interrogations and, and uh, horrific abuse, actually. You know, you, your people talk about waterboarding. Well, the communists had a different form of waterboarding. Uh, we would be drowned, but it wasn't in water. We would have liked that. Uh, they were drowning us in urine and filth, oh. and so that we would ingest filth and pass out and suffocate. And then there was no showers or taps or any water that we could clean ourselves with. So we were we were filthy mm. in the most sense. Mm. And so that that was my experience. October 1987 in Lusaka Central Prison almost 30 years ago. And uh, I've been back to Zambia, oh, well over 30 times since. Normally as a VIP, um, whisked past security because they overthrew the communist government in 1991 and Zambia's been officially a Christian country since. So I've gone from being a presidential detainee uh, without charge of being tortured uh, on multiple occasions to uh, being received by the president, minister of foreign affairs, home affairs, education, and others, and uh, ministering on radio, TV, schools, universities, army bases, all over the place. <laughs> so what a contrast. I could not have envisaged 30 years ago uh, where I would have been this year. And so here I was invited to this Justo Mwali University, which is Reformed Church in Zambia's main university. Reformed Church in Zambia's a two million member denomination, so it's, it's quite large. And uh, the first thing they wanted me to deal with was Martin Luther, Professor Martin Luther, and the urgent need for reformation today and revival in the Bible and in history and practical steps to reformation. And how can we work for reformation in Zambia today and biblical faith in modern countries? I mean, how good is that to get opportunities like this invited to a country where I once was a prisoner and now uh, an honored guest and to see the gospel growing and churches on almost every corner in the city that used to be communist. They used to have streets named after Ben Bella, uh, Mao Zedong, Vladimir Lenin, Karl Marx Avenue, and all that nonsense. Wow. <laughs> and so now you go there and you see Christian flags flying and um, scriptures on billboards. And yeah, you know, it's just extraordinary. So I, I had that wonderful experience at the beginning of this month ministering in in Lusaka, Zambia, Central Africa. And uh, I went straight from there to KwaZulu-Natal, Zululand, which is a part of South Africa. It's, it's in the uh, eastern part of, of South Africa. And uh, I went to a minister's conference, which I've actually been attending minister's conferences at this mission station, Kwasavanta Mission, since uh, 1991. So that goes back a long way too. And this was the biggest. I, last year, uh, was ministering at the mission and they had at a youth conference they had over 7,000 young people uh, two years ago I ministered at the ministers conference they had 1,500 ministers this year they had 2,000 ministers, missionaries and evangelists from 29 countries gathered together worshipping the Lord at this mission station in the mountains of Zululand, they came from Algeria, America, Armenia Belgium, Burundi, Congo Chad, France, Germany Greece, Hungary India, Latvia, Lesotho, Mozambique, Namibia, Netherlands, Russia, Romania, 
Switzerland, Swaziland, Togo, <laughs> Sweden, Zambia. It was extraordinary from uh, so far around the world and uh, from four continents, uh, no, five continents. And there we had the opportunity of, of fellowship and planning. And it was just, I must say, the days were not long enough. You can imagine just a three-day conference with people from so far and wide. And many of them, I know them. I've ministered near homes and churches and schools and colleges around the world. And so the fellowship was so full that your head spun and you'd get to bed and be asleep by the moment your head touched a pillow because you just so, <laughs> the days were so full. But um, what a wonderful experience. So the, the emphasis at the second conference I was at, the minister's conference in Zuland at Kwasi Zavanta Mission, was revival. The emphasis of the conference I went to in Zambia was reformation. And I looked at that and I thought, what a wonderful balance, because reformation is our duty. Get back to the Bible. Take God's word seriously. Obey the word of God. Apply the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life. Reformation is, is our responsibility. But revival is God's sovereign work. We cannot work for revival. We cannot manipulate, bring it about. We cannot even pray it down or preach it up. Hmm. Uh, revival is a sovereign move of God. God sends revival. And so I thought this is a great balance because Reformation, let us do what we're responsible to do and let us trust God to do what we cannot do. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying, how that uh, revival really is a work of God. There's not any little tricks that we can do. It's it's totally of his doing. And uh, then as he changes hearts, um, then he gives us a work to do. And the means, uh, the duty, uh, are ours to perform. And um, that's beautiful. Now, today I'm talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. Uh, he's in South Africa, Cape Town, South Africa. Our connection is not quite perfect, but uh, it's certainly good enough to hear you, Peter. Um, and he's been sharing with us about a, a conference that he attended, Reformation 500 Conference. And uh, tell us a little more about this school where the conference was held, Peter. Yes, I've, I've actually been invited to lecture uh, for weeks at a time before. Uh, it was started by the Dutch Reformed Church missionaries uh, from South Africa. So South African missionaries set up this this college to provide leaders in Zambia for the Reformed Church of Zambia, which is one of the largest denominations in Zambia. It's, it's a two million member denomination, and it's it's a very nice facility. Uh, I must say it's a credit to the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa that they've built such an excellent facility in such an ideal area. In fact, it's very close to the airport in Lusaka too, uh, not far from the main road. And uh, you're, you're in the bush to a large extent. It's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a wooded area. It's a, it's a nice, quiet, you can be able to get the people away from the normal rush of things. And uh, while it's, it's not too far from the center of town, it's, it's actually away from the noise of town. And you can focus on the Lord's issues. Right. The library's good. And so these people, they've got a Reformation hunger. And as this year is the 500th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther launching the Reformation with the 95 Theses nailed on the church door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, 31 October this year is going to be the 500th anniversary. So they wanted me to come and inspire not just their students and faculty, but also uh, people who were invited from all over the country and across the borders to come to a Reformation 500 conference in the socket. So we had another one of our missionaries, John Clifford. He 
joined me as well. He drove up a lot of the great books and Bibles and study materials we were donating to the people who participate in the conference. And, and uh, I've driven up there many a time too, but I, I just flew in for this one because of all the other things I'm juggling at the same time. So we've got a couple of mission teams on the road. We've got uh, mission teams that have been in Swaziland, Lesotho, Namibia, Tanzania, uh, and of course, uh, Zambia. And so I'm trying to juggle and join the teams where I'm needed to help with the conferences. But otherwise, they're running a lot of Reformation conferences right now all over Africa in order to bring people back to the Bible using this monumental milestone of 500 years since Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses um, in order to, to inspire people to, okay, Martin Luther faced these challenges and this is how he dealt with it. What challenge are we facing? How do these great principles of the Reformation, the five solas and all these others, how do they apply to us today? Uh, how are we doing? Are our churches um, still strong on the Word of God? Have we wandered from the Word of God? How far have we wandered? And so we're finding a tremendous excitement as people are challenged and thought, well, if Martin Luther could have achieved so much when so much was against him, we've got so much more that we benefit from. We have privileges that he couldn't have even imagined. We have technology that Martin Luther would have really loved to use. I mean, he used the technology of his time, the printing press. We've got radio, we've got internet, we've got... Or, do you know, we were not only delivering to people great Bibles and books, but also SD cards and flash drives packed with digital libraries and things like this, oh, yeah. which you just think it's extraordinary what you can do now. On one little 4-gig SD card, which almost anyone with a smartphone can use, you can put on the Jesus form in their language, the Bible in their language, Bible study materials in their language, and a host of PowerPoints, audio lectures, and things like this. And it all fits. It's just extraordinary. And you can put even more on a 16-gig flash drive. And so we are equipping people with digital libraries and actual libraries. And uh, so our teams are going out with literally tons of materials and seeking to uh, mobilize like Wycliffe mobilized the Lollards in England as field workers of the Reformation to go out and to preach in the marketplaces and into the schools and universities. And that's our vision, to be strategic and to mobilize Africa for Christ, back to the Bible. Yes. You know, one of the uh, concerns I have, Peter, right now is, and I, my view is so limited, but I, I see the news and whatnot, and, and it continues to be terrorism and people getting killed by radical Islam terrorists. Um, do you see that kind of activity in your travels? I'm afraid we do. Uh, in fact, it's, it's much, much worse than anything the people of England or America or France or Belgium or Germany uh, could possibly imagine. If you just take northern Nigeria, for example, uh, in northern Nigeria, uh, there have been, in just a five-year period that we documented, 1,000 terror attacks and 17,000 Christians killed oh. by Boko Haram terrorists just in northern Nigeria, just in five years. Mm. And in just one diocese between April and December last year, there were 53 villages attacked and 808 people killed. That's just one diocese of northern Nigeria, Kafanchan. And uh, there are all kinds of attacks going on in Sudan. Uh, Christians being arrested and imprisoned in, in Sudan. Uh, we've had a huge amount of reports. Uh, for example, in Central African Republic, there were uh, Muslim terrorists going in and hacking people to death, attacking churches. So 
what we're seeing in Somalia, in Ethiopia, terror attacks on churches in Tanzania, the Congo, and in Kenya, vastly more death toll and far more horrific things taking place in Africa than even the high-profile events that you're hearing about in Europe. Yes, yes. Is there, and I, I hesitate to go here, but a question I have is, as the percentage of um, Muslim population increases in a given country, do their tactics change based on the percentage? There is no doubt that that's true. I've documented that in my Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam book, how you can literally see a pattern, it's almost a mathematical formula you could make, that as the percentages of Muslims increase, you can see they move from organization to agitation to snap riots, and the more you get of them, then they start getting into acts of violence and terrorism. And at a certain point, it moves to civil war. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, only when you reach 100% Muslim, like in the case of Saudi Arabia, do you have peace. Uh, because they say the whole world is Dar al-Islam, the house of peace, or Dar al-Harab, the house of war. And the only countries at peace, or that a Muslim can be truly at peace with, is where there's a 100%, not just Muslims saying they're Muslims, but complete submission to Sharia law. So by definition in Islam, if 100% of the population are not in submission to Sharia law, which is radical Islamic law, according to the Hadith of Muhammad, then they are a house of war, Dar al-Harab, or a military target, in other words. That's amazing. And um, we've been talking now about missions and um, your experience working in Africa. Have you had any um, good, have you made good headway? Has What has the Lord been doing among Muslims in bringing them to himself? There is no doubt that we are having success. In fact, this may surprise people, because when you hear about this tremendous increase in violent terrorism and Islamic jihad, you might be tempted to think, well, you know, they're on the advance and they're winning and we're on the retreats. In fact, it is the opposite. The church is increasing in number in Africa, and not just in numbers, but in real, serious, genuine converts. I mean, we, we, I realize that many people who call themselves Christians in Africa are not real believers, as that would be true in any continent. But we have millions of genuine, Bible-believing, dedicated Christians who come from a Muslim background in Africa. I'm talking about Northern Nigeria in particular, that's why there's so much violence there, because the, what the Muslims are doing in Sudan and Nigeria is they're fighting back because they're losing people. There's something like a revival going on in Algeria and in parts of Sudan and parts of Nigeria as well, and Algeria and Egypt as well. There are massive people movements, and by people movements, we meet where tens of thousands of Muslims convert to Christianity in a given year. And over the last several decades, we have seen colossal amounts. It now runs into the hundreds of thousands and millions of people from Muslim background who have come to Christ in Nigeria and also in South Sudan and Sudan and in Egypt. And in Algeria, I'm told it's a new movement, just a few years old, but there's already tens of thousands of Muslims who've come to Christ. It could be well over 100,000 already in Algeria. And so when people hear the violence, they may be assuming that Islam's getting stronger. Actually, the violence is a sign that they're getting weaker. Hmm. They're using the violence because they're losing numbers, they're losing people, and this is their backlash. This is their desperation. Because Islam doesn't handle well um, critical study. It doesn't handle well 
um, investigation, people who start to compare the Quran with the Bible, as friends of mine have done in like Egyptian university, their people have come to Christ who were lecturers in Quranic history and uh, Islam. And these were Islamic professors who in studying the Quran came to the conclusion that the Quran is not the word of God, the Bible is, and were converted to Christ and of course had to flee their country in many cases. Uh, so that the, because their family wanted to kill them and all the rest. So you are seeing a huge uh, dissatisfaction with Islam, a lot of people turning away from Islam, and a massive moving to Christ. I would say it's it's by every definition genuine people movements in Africa in at least four countries that I've named. But there's smaller numbers of Muslims coming to Christ in other parts of Africa, and this is why we now see Muslims targeting not just any Christians, they're targeting the churches, which have lots of Muslim background believers. Yes. And, uh, and so uh, I think that's the hidden story that's not normally told. I think most people are missing this, that actually we are winning. We're winning not just the spiritual war, but the Great Commission has been fulfilled. And uh, we should not be discouraged by the Islamic attacks on us. It's actually a bit of an admission of defeat on their part. Yes, yes. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. He's from Cape Town. And uh, Peter, in the couple, two, three minutes uh, remaining, um, you know, we're all getting older. And we look back on our lives and we say, how did I get here? And you kind of rehearse what all the Lord has done. Um, I would imagine that as you look back on your life, and hopefully you'll be around a long time yet because you got a lot of energy and God is blessing you, but as you look back, did you ever think you would have been here, and how was it that God brought you to this point? I mean, it was very providential, it seems. Indeed. I was brought up in a secular family, and uh, we never went to church, not even on Christmas. We never prayed for anything, not even on meals. We were just very secular, and I was 17 years old when I was confronted with the gospel of Christ and challenged with what Christ had done for me and asked, what have you ever done for Christ? And I, I was 17 years old, but I, I was shocked and all my agnosticism just disappeared. And I sat there knowing I'm a guilty sinner, well-deserving an eternity in hell. And I went forward, I surrendered to Christ and I received not only um, the the uh, conviction of sin at night, but a call to missions. Oh. And so I was convicted converted and called the same night and I've been involved in missions now this coming Easter uh, it will be 40 years since I was converted and 35 years since I first crossed the border to communist Mozambique water on Mozambique on our first frontline mission so a mission celebrating 35 years uh, next week and uh, I'm celebrating 40 years of uh, being a born-again believer and there's no doubt it's an adventure of discipleship because the Lord has led me across 36 countries ministering in four continents. I've been in prison a couple of times. I've been under fire numerous times. I've been under aerial and artillery bombardments. And the Lord has protected me through ambushes, through all kinds of different attacks and death threats from governments even, like the Sudan government. And and yet I've known the protection of the Lord, the Lord being my shield, my fortress. So I must echo the words of, of C.T. Studd that God's work and God's way will not lack God's supply. And God's missionary is is God's responsibility. And so our duty is to expect great things from God and to attempt great things for God. And in this work, I regard the best missionary as the Bible, the Bible in the mother tongue. So distributing Bibles and teaching the Bible and ensuring that the people we minister amongst get the word of God in their own language, uh, that has been 
the most invigorating thing to see people's lives transformed. And I've heard people say, I have never had a Bible before, or not since the communist burnt my Bible, have had the Word of God for myself, or I've been praying day and night for my own copy of the Word of God for five years. This is the greatest gift anyone could ever ask for. And so what a joy and privilege to serve the Lord and to put the Word of God in people's hands. And that's what we're still doing 35 years later. Oh, that's beautiful. Praise the Lord for His work and what He's doing. Uh, Peter, if someone wants to read more about um, your mission's work and uh, learn more and and even participate in some way, is there a web address where they can check it out? Certainly, frontline.org.za. So that's F-R-O-N-T-L-I-N-E, frontline.org.za. And the Z is for Sudafrica. Only Americans don't need to put the country code after it. So it's frontline.org.za. You can email us at mission at frontline.org.za. Or if you're on social media, find Frontline Fellowship. We're on there too. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Uh, a lot of people are using Facebook nowadays. Thank you very much, Dr. Peter Hammond, for taking your time today and joining our listeners. And dear brother, may the Lord bless you and your work and keep you safe. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. God bless you. God bless all your listeners. And dear listener, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.